James Senegal once said, Technology helps us become more efficient and productive, but our business still has a lot of art as opposed to strictly science. Are you tinkering, self-learning, self-improving, experimenting with home labbing? And do you want to become a skilled IT expert? Well, you've found your new home. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. On this show, we'll interview top experts and dig deep to learn how they got started and how they train their IT skills as a master martial artist in a Shaolin temple. And you know what? We're going to have fun along the way. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. And now your host, Vian Du. All right, let's do this. Nick, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the podcast. Hi. Before we dive into the home labbing topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Alrighty. So I am uh, Nick Schmidt. I grew up in Nome, Alaska. So uh, way, way off the road system uh, on the northwestern coast. I uh, I actually didn't start in telecom or at least this flavor of IT up until fairly recently. Um, But I was basically raised in uh, broadcast and public radio uh, when I was about, I don't know, 10 years old. I picked up my own uh, amateur radio license and uh, I've been somewhat active since then. You know, now that I'm working on cellular infrastructure, my interests there have peaked quite a bit. Um, and everything's kind of glanced off of the more traditional IT uh, professions until something finally stuck. So, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I uh, picked up networking, and about five or six years ago, I picked up VMware from there. So, but how did you get started with home labbing and where did you get the idea? So for for me, it uh, has been a little bit more ingrained than most since I was about, I don't know, two. I thought it was kind of cool to, uh, you know, visit the family at work. I was more interested in um, engineering and stuff like that from a very, very young age. And in broadcast radio and electrical work and all that, um, the concept of testing before you build is much more formalized, right? You don't uh, you don't integrate a transmitter um, without first testing everything out. You know, putting it up to a multimeter. One fun fact: um, when you have a radio it has a impedance set to it. And if you mismatch that impedance, it will feed power back to the transmitter. And the best way to do it is to trust the manufacturer's specifications. I'm kidding. 
don't do that. What you do instead is you take every single piece of it and you work to integrate, uh, just like we do here in IT, but more rigid, right? You take every piece, you make sure that it works well with the rest of your ecosystem, and then you develop tests from there to ensure that everything is working properly. So again, with the more systems engineering disciplines and the electrical disciplines, this is much more uh, formalized. So it never really occurred to me not to, if that makes any sense. So what was the reason behind of this? You created your home lab. When, uh, when you use a technical solution at work, generally it tends to follow a pretty narrow play, which is very useful for a business because um, that narrow play tends to achieve their goals, which, you know, is ultimately what they want. But it does not facilitate learning very effectively. Um, I, I have very easy examples working in the telecommunications sector where somebody can configure what most would consider some very, very advanced features. Um, but because they've only done it one way, right? Anything that um, deviates from that norm becomes a bit of an issue that that understanding is not easily quantified by business um, because you can't just wave your hands and say well-roundedness and you know, hope everybody understands, right? Um, what we need to do instead is as engineers, we, uh, we, we need to fully understand something. So Robert Heinlein had a, a, a bit of a concept in one of his books, he calls it grokking, where you don't just say, I get it, or understand something. Um, you go, you, you have to grok it in its fullest. That means you truly understand a subject. So um, you can't really get that at work because business goals t tend to kind of get in the way for the most part. And there's also very little tolerance for um, integration times in IT because systems integration isn't really uh, regarded the same way. Uh, how did your first home lab look like? Oh, it was, uh, it was pretty nasty. Well, kind of. So I had a... Um, I wouldn't really call it a nuke. This was back in, uh, 2012, right? I was living in Delta Junction and I was studying for the Linux Professional Institute certification. Um, so I bought like a, a $200 knockoff, like AMD nuke. And I put it in the, uh, laundry room that we had at the time. Uh, my wife and I were living in an apartment. Um, uh, internet access was so bad that uh, homes in the area that had internet access were worth a bit more. So our apartment was basically the top floor of a church. It was pretty much all hallway. And the only uh, room that had any space at all was actually a sauna. So 
I actually had really good water drainage in my home lab, uh, like really good <laughs> because that's where everything was stored. Um, I used that uh, Intel Nuke. I built uh, KVM on top of it, and I would instantiate uh, the various Linux distros that were required for the test and just kind of build and break um, over and over and over again. What was your first home lab project? Um, so my first, well, it, it depends on how far you go back, right? Um, one of the home, the things you could almost call a home lab project, there was a, uh, uh, there's a yearly event where we'd race bathtubs um, and we, we used the engineering room to construct one, uh, one of the radio engineers that, I grew up around, had the idea that if you push them instead of pull them, they'd uh, go a little bit faster. So the prototype was constructed there as well. Um, more recently, first IT home lab, I'd, I would say would probably be that uh, Linux build lab. After that, I constructed a little bit. I tried to start a uh, university outreach program. Um, one of the things that uh, is required for US military employee here, there's a, um, there's a set of rules called DOD 8570. Um, it specifies minimum security qualifications for technical practitioners. Uh, you know, if you work on an information system Anywhere in uh, anywhere involving the U.S. military, you have to have a minimum um, security baseline for education. So, what I was trying to do was I was trying to work with uh, the university, University of Alaska Fairbanks, to set up uh, classes that would better facilitate that. Um, IT as an industry has kind of come from. Uh, from a very informal space, right? Back to the seventies, right? We never really had like an IT specific degree program. We kind of do now, but it's mostly project management, not technical. And as a result, um, that again, hand wavy, well-roundedness um, perspective is still not there, both in education and trying stuff out yourself. So, course the evil end game there was to get people the opportunity to work on hardware and learn which isn't really different uh necessarily um one of the things that i envision it education being in the future is going to be a little bit more like a trade school and less like a university where you you get a lot more hands-on um access to anything you want to learn because from what I've seen, at least, that is a really valuable aspect to somebody's education, right? Well, one of the things that seemed to be everybody's favorite with the tech classes was when the professor would go, okay, we're done with lecture, here are the keys to, you know, whatever, and, um, you know, have fun, right? It was the best part of all the classes when I was going to school. And how did you fund your home lab? Oh, yeah. Um, 
I didn't spend a whole lot of money on mine. So one of the things I found is that um, outside of getting free cast offs from employers, which is great, but it's also somewhat unreliable. Um, some good ways to uh, get equipment tend to be uh, leveraging some more commodity hardware. So, you know, in our industry right now, it seems that the thing that has the most demand is memory. Uh, the VMware management stack is uh, very resource intensive, but in pretty specific ways. Memory, memory, and more memory. What I found is that um, when I started, I'd buy a lot of um, older like server CPUs piecemeal, right? So I found two of my uh, two of my home lab hosts right now are running that uh, generation of Xeon CPU that uh, VMware is dropping off the map. Um, soon uh the process i'm not too upset about it the processors cost me uh, 14 from a recycler each so it's a pretty good price um ultimately the best way to do it is to you know just decide what your budget is and try to do it as cheaply as possible usually it doesn't matter how fast stuff is it doesn't really matter whether it's top of the line. Um, and that's where people tend to overspend a little bit, right? Not to knock on Intel, but you've seen the home lab posts on the Intel Nuke, right? Um, where they're north of $1,000. That's too much for just about anyone. Um, what, what I would recommend instead is if you have the space, um, look at like 4RU enclosures and getting the larger motherboards, the slower CPUs, as long as it fits the memory that you have, that's kind of the way to go. Um, so far, I haven't spent more than $300 on a single host, and that's getting them to at least uh, 64 gigs of RAM. Uh, RAM's a big, <laughs> pretty much all of the costs there. So nowadays, what I have found is that there are a lot of uh, gaming motherboards that are fairly cheap and um, that the uh, entry level, like Gen 10 i3s, are also fairly inexpensive, which allows you to kind of throw together a combination of in relatively inexpensive motherboard memory and all that to get a host that is, you know, fast enough, right? Um, that has worked particularly well. The, uh, the biggest issues that I have with uh, paying for stuff as you go along is EVC. Uh, unfortunately, EVC is uh, going to be a big, uh, problem for you if you don't plan it out. So what I'd say is on that front, definitely look at what your target CPU architecture is and make sure you stick to it for a while, right? You've got that sliding scale of cheap versus VMware will EOL this and you got to strike the line right now. I think that's at about 
Gen 10 uh, Intel cores that are as, as cheap as possible, right? The, the four CPU, the cheapest I3 they make right now is still a little bit better than um, those older Xeons. And um, it also has a better single core, core clock rate for stuff like virtual routers that don't support parallel processing all that well as like a tangential benefit. But ultimately, you want the capacity. You don't really want the speed that can be very easily sacrificed to, you know, spend less. Um, the other little gems that I found, uh, one of them is a uh, Cisco part, uh, the Cisco WS3560 24TSE. And what the E part of that means is that it has the... Uh, fully loaded iOS license. So I found that uh, Recycler, some people bought it just because it was the most expensive thing on Cisco shelves back in the early 2000s, but it's got everything. It's got ISIS, it's got BGP, it's got all everything in the kitchen sink. Granted, it's iOS 12, but um, it's about $70 a piece. And you can test out pretty much everything under the network sun on it. So, yeah, just uh, do the thrift store thing. That's definitely where I'd start. And how your home lab looks right now and what do you have now there? And what software are you running? All right. So nowadays, right, I'm a little bit more involved in the VMware or vSphere side of things, right? I do a lot of work with NSX. So... I had to move to ESXi. Um, right now I have three total hosts. One is, I guess I'd just call it a gamer boy cast off. Um, it's all, all of them are fairly cheap, but in fairly different ways. Two of them have super micro motherboards that I just threw whatever was garage sale on top of. And the third host, I actually bought new hardware for, but it, ended up costing about the same, which I found very interesting. Um, I use a, uh, visit the Newegg house brand. Um, it, it's a four rack unit, uh, ATX case. It's got very good cable management and it's rack mount. So it's, uh, makes things very easy to work on, which is great when you have, used parts that break all the time. Um, the, they're absolutely fantastic um, and definitely very, very useful on that front. I uh, run a lot of network virtualization in particular. Um, there's the, the quote unquote normal use cases for NSXV or and now T, um, but I kind of sailed on past that and moved on to more weird stuff from there. So we, I do leverage uh, network offload quite a bit. I had to be really picky about network cards. So Intel i3 or i210 and x540 are the way to go right now for me. Uh, I know the Mellanox ones are way better, but again, price ceiling <laughs> and all that. So 
I have them on a multi-tier fabric. Um, the main reason why is that when, uh, when uh, access to the internet breaks, I get yelled at uh, by the better three quarters. So, you know, I, I have to keep some of it operational and running all the time. Um, if I'm testing out a network topology, NSXT is a very, very powerful tool where you can just deploy um, virtual routers and you can arrange them in a arbitrary topology um, just by creating VM segments uh, and you know, plugging everything into each other. So uh, the, the outside of it is fairly, um, is, is fairly straightforward. The, the inside is where the craziness lives. The big advantage to that is that I can rearrange things on the fly whenever I want. How much knowledge have you gained while having a home lab? Hmm. Uh, well, I picked up two CCNPs without ever touching a Cisco router or switch at work. Um, so quite a bit. Um, I don't just use my home lab to teach myself, though. I also try to use it to teach others, um, as it, it is a very important teaching tool. So I, I get a lot more out of it than I put in, for sure. Um, in general, right, even now, I, I seem to find patterns, right? So most uh, people who design products or software have... Uh, design patterns and design practices that uh, they may not put in their documentation that is useful to know. Um, if you use an SXT, an easy example that I you know kind of put into our engineers is that if you're wondering why there's a problem with an SXT, go to System Fabric Nodes. Right, it's the best place to look first always. Um, and finding themes like that when you're working on hardware is very, it's very easy when you have a home lab and you're trying to show people how to do stuff. Those, those patterns do merge and they have a, uh, positive, uh, impact on, on, uh, how you operationally manage software in addition to it. I mean, I've studied for so much stuff at this point using mine. I'm not sure <laughs> I would ever do it any other way, but there's also the operational ease, right? Where um, people are ready to use software by the time the business is, um, has decided to use it. What is the most memorable home lab story you like to share? Okay, um, this one's a little bit fun, a little bit personal. So uh, I have a young daughter, and she's super cool. Um, one of the things that probably looked pretty awful from the outside, <laughs> um, she, when she was about, I don't know, I think it was about six, seven months old, she had a lot of she's still working on the whole sitting up and being stable thing and she'd tip over, but, um, 
I came up with a setup for when I was uh, working my home labs in the basement and I was trying to get everything wired up for a while doing actual physical work. So we had a pack and play that we'd, uh, that I'd put her in, I'd sit her in the corner and, um, she'd just sit there and just babble the whole time I was working. Right. Had no idea what she was saying yet. Sometimes I still don't even today, but she'd just sit there and talk and, you know, I'd, I'd just be working on whatever and we'd be there. Uh, well, at one point my wife walked in and just said, she looks like she's in prison. <laughs> and, uh, she was right. It totally did look that way, but I, I didn't want her on the floor because if she tipped over, the ground isn't as soft as the pack and play. So we uh, we took a few pictures at that point uh, because yes, it, it definitely looked like she was incarcerated um, the whole time. She was happy as could be, but it's just how it looked from the outside. Do you have any scariest or most funny homeless stories as well? What do you like to share? Um, not specifically about home lab, right? Um, because um, generally, like I said, when, when I was very young, all the electrical safety and all that stuff was taught to me before I you know, even knew how to read, which was great, probably saved my life. Um, I, I mean, I've had a few close calls, right? I, uh, but my uh, grandfather was an electrical engineer, so he tended to move those things away from me, the, the more dangerous things, before, before I ever established habits. I, I guess one kind of funny one we had was I actually have uh, RJ45 wall plates throughout my entire house, and I've continually tried to find out why no matter what when i hooked up a toner i couldn't figure out what went to what so uh one day i decided to take a look at behind a particularly strange uh electrical wall plate and um it, it was a gang box um it's a north american standard width for um, electrical outlets. So I had two of them, but the, uh, the whole thing was sideways and like two feet long. So I decided, okay, well, you know what, what's the worst idea one could have in a situation like that. So I cut into the drywall as one does. And I found two, uh, uh, Siemens, uh, 10 megabit ethernet switches that were hooked up to it. And that's what was causing all the interference that uh, prevented me from toning out the walls. So I, I still have to replace the drywall there. I've been putting it off, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they were just inside the walls. They were super hot when I pulled them out too. Um, but now, now I have connectivity throughout the house. It lets me place access points wherever I want instead of just the basement. Um, I also have a Wi-Fi and RF lab to boot. So we have an Aruba AP515 and a 315. The 515 is upstairs because it's faster. And 
we have staggered coverage of the whole building as a result. What do you also think about you once I see your home lab or her, you have a home lab? Well, so far it's been fairly non-invasive until I got the two and a half gig switch. Um, that's when uh, my wife started to develop more opinions about it. Um, I, I run a whole bunch of useful stuff, um, right, with a young child. Uh, Plex with Disney movies is very useful. So uh, we definitely use that a lot, and it runs on the lab. I, I My storage is backed by a Synology NAS, but... One of the things that I've found is that it has a difficult time keeping up with all the extra stuff I'm doing and Plex at the same time. Fortunately, Plex runs as a virtual machine. So why not, right? You know, if you have the infrastructure, you may as well use it. So uh, leveraging some of the host hardware instead of the built-in uh, processor with the NAS actually gets pretty good performance. and has been a substantial improvement on that front. What is home lab for you? Um, in the IT industry, again, somewhat looking from the outside in, um, we, we seem to be plagued by highly opinionated assertions um, where because nobody is given the opportunity to truly learn software, we just kind of get desensitized to that fact we go okay well i don't really understand it but i ran it for two years i i must therefore actually understand it instead of hey it's time to learn more um this is something that negatively affects uh the appearance of the industry to the outside um where the learning isn't as strict and where the standards aren't particularly high. And what I want to do is help others, you know, raise that bar up, if you will. Um, we're going to, or we do need to improve how people see our industry. And we do that by providing quality solutions. Um, in the 1990s, something that just worked was totally fine. In the 2020s, there's a very, very high standard for quality and businesses are learning how useful IT is, not just to because they have to have it to operate, but in many cases, it can make lives so much easier in ways that people have never seen before. So for me, um, that, that deep understanding of what we work on is the basis for communicating that, hey, your IT department can be those guys that you lean on, right? We all know they file the service tickets and stuff like that, but if somebody says that they want to do something, we are usually the people that can make it happen for them. Uh, we, we may not always know how, um, but we have the right resources, right mindset. Uh, IT people tend to be facilitators and not necessarily an impediment like they're normally perceived. A lot of that is tied into the perceptions of quality that we have. And 
for us, uh, yeah, just sitting down and building our understanding of the the platforms we support will open up opportunities like that for us and for the people that we're doing this for. What one piece of advice would you give for beginner home labbers? Um, well, I have a few uh, because, but they all kind of revolve around documentation just to be upfront about it. Um, first, the first few things that you want to get, uh, my number one would be source control, learning how to use it. Um, source control can be used for your, um, for your documentation as well, right? With tools like drawthe.net, they integrate with GitHub. You can do the same thing with GitLab or uh, uh, Bitbucket online, but at, you have to get all your stuff into code because at some point you will blow up your lab and need to restore from somewhere. Um, and if you don't end up in that situation, you need to try harder to break your lab than that. So no matter what, having that outside source is very useful. Um, once you get the hang of source control, it will also allow you to very rapidly redeploy things when you do screw it up. Um, I, I say that nicely because that's what you're expected to do with a home lab. Um, with most of how I have it built today, now that I've learned those lessons the hard way, uh, right? Most of the infrastructure components are deployed from code, not because I want a um, self-aggrandizing post on Twitter or something like that, but because we only have so much time. We're, we're using our free time to do all of this and it, we don't have time to go and patch all of our Linux virtual machines, get a, get a pipeline to do that, get Ansible to do that. Um, spend your home lab time learning and not maintaining it. Um, source control is, is step one, stuff like Ansible, Terraform, um, learning a little bit of Python for where, you know, they don't quite match up and using a CI tool is uh, foundational to making your home lab a little bit easier to maintain. Um, that, uh, that ease of maintenance means that you get to focus on bigger and better things. Um, from there, of course, diagramming is very important. Of course, being a network guy, uh, you know, I diagram plenty of totally unnecessary things. So maybe take that with a grain of salt, but generally that, that diagramming will help you understand what you intend to do better before you do it. And it will just make everything easier. It will save work. The next thing that is probably worthwhile is uh, get a domain. Um, set everything up in a domain because, well, having legal rights to whatever you're using in the lab, instead of using vSphere.local or something like that is important. The other advantage to that is you can learn to build a DNS server on your own, um, which turns into a lot of very dynamic, very useful learning in and of itself. DNS is a very important thing for people to learn 
and you'll be running your own DNS server at that point. Um, the other thing that I could say is that once, once you do have all the kinks worked out, definitely do that one from code because you're going to be updating the records a lot. <laughs> so, um, getting all that stuff sorted out up front is very, very useful. And, and kind of the last thing for me would be, um, Hurricane Electric has a IPv6 course that you can take once you have all the right elements in place. Basically, they, they have some curriculum that you go through, and then after that, you have to demonstrate proficiency in IPv6, um, which is very powerful because it's just a series of... Uh, enterprise level implementations that you would have to do at work anyways. Sure. Maybe not with IPv6, but, um, in general, right. So their course goes from, you know, here are the basics of IPv6 subnetting, which is easier than IPv4, by the way, um, all the way up to, Hey, I'm going to host my own mail server. Um, there are a lot of very good resources online for how to do that, but my recommendation is build them all out of your home lab instead of using um, a cloud-hosted service that will make the course easy because there's, there's just so many things you'll pick up along the way, right? Um, in general, when I see people use their home lab, when they, when they sit and go say it's a waste of money or... Uh, get frustrated with it. Usually they, people need those uh, goal posts, those objectives to hit, right? To, to make an activity fulfilling, right? For some people, it's getting certifications. For others, it, is, it has to be more pragmatic. It has to be actually doing something. For, for me, I'm a mix of both. So what I recommend is picking out stuff that you'd want to try. The IPv6 SAGE certification is a pretty good start. They send you a free T-shirt as, uh, as a perk to it as well. Um, but um, generally, those, those little objectives are how you're going to make your experience more, more meaningful over time. Nick, thank you so much for joining, and have a wonderful day. You too. You've been listening to the Home Labbers podcast. Our passion is to interview the leading IT experts and get tech enthusiasts all the information they need to become an expert. So if you run at home enterprise hardware and software and you like tinkering and self-learning, then you've found your new podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit up the website at viondu.tech, on Twitter at hashtag viondutrending, and hashtag home lab. See you next time on the Home Labbers Podcast.